0: Truth Jihad Radio, the place where conspiracy theories sometimes come true. I'm Kevin Barrett, and you can subscribe to this show by going to kevinbarrett.substack.com. With your subscription, you'll get early access to all of these shows.
1: The key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside an important question I understand that
0: highest moment the last eight years hmm. highest moment the last eight years well I think that the most important the most compelling was uh, was 9-11 itself Welcome, this is the special Friday live edition of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, doing the show every Friday evening here on Revolution.Radio. The finest blister-sponsored networks. You can support Revolution.Radio by going to Revolution.Radio. And uh, you can figure out ways to help them. You can also figure out ways to help me by way of TruthJihad.com. And in fact, I do have a, a big fundraiser going. And it's a kind of a long story, but we're planning to relocate to Morocco, where we have a great project and can afford to live. And so you can find that fundraiser by way of the False Flag Weekly News rubric at truthjihad.com. It'll take you a couple of clicks and stuff, but you'll find your way there, inshallah. Okay, so tonight we're talking about true conspiracy theories. That is, uh, as Michael Moore said, I'm not interested in conspiracy theories, except the ones that are true. And tonight we've got a couple of true ones. One of them the New York Times just actually admitted was true after decades and decades of poo-pooing it and ridiculing the people who believed in it. That is, of course, the 1980 October surprise story that the Reagan-Bush campaign torpedoed then-President Jimmy Carter's chances by cutting a deal with Iran to keep the U.S. hostages locked up until Reagan had defeated Carter. And that move did ensure Carter's defeat. It was essentially a coup d'etat. Barbara Honiger, the second guest tonight, wrote the first book on the topic entitled October Surprise. And so she'll be on about half an hour from now to talk about that. Then in the second hour, our Michael Fisher will discuss the candidacy that is the 2024 presidential candidacy and of Marianne see. Williamson, who actually came on my radio show and made pro 9-11 truth noises, and got herself into trouble uh, several years ago. She is attacked by the usual suspects for that, and so we'll we'll talk about uh, the fearlessness of, of her and of uh, truth seekers in general uh, in the second hour of the show. Well, let's get going with the very beginning of the show. The first half hour, Peter Myers is with MailStar.net. He's one of our leading New World Order researchers, and he did some great work on the Malaysian Airlines 370 mystery. My previous show with him on that topic uh, made a YouTube that got to 81,000 81, views, 000. and it got nuked when YouTube destroyed my channel and erased all my videos. But I managed to salvage a copy and put it on Rumble, so that's back. And now Peter is out with a new article on the topic. It's called MH370 Solved, the CIA and the Broken Wing Display. So let's talk about that, and I believe we have him on the line, and we'll see if his connection is better this time. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Oh, no, maybe it's not better. Well, we did make a contingency plan here. If uh, if Peter's Skype connection doesn't work, which happened last time we tried to bring him on, I guess we'll just bring on Barbara earlier. And she is standing by for that. So that's always a possibility. But let's let's just see if we can get Peter. Hello, Peter. Come in, Peter. This doesn't sound very uh, promising. I see Peter is allegedly connected to the show, according to the control board, but he seems to be unable to talk. And that doesn't make for a very lively guest. I do prefer guests who can talk. So I guess that just means that the same problem is afflicting Peter's ability to connect to revolution radio Skype as happened last time we tried to bring him on. And so Ultimately, down the line, we'll have to figure out some kind of a workaround. But for tonight, I think maybe Mr. Rowe needs to just call Barbara Honegger because there's more than enough to talk about with her uh, October surprise article. And then people can find out about Peter's 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 new MH370 piece by going to the radio radio page. page. Just go to truthjihad.com, click on the radio show link, the radio schedule, and the first thing, uh, the first post there is tonight's post. post, Just look at the Peter myers rubric uh rather the uh the rubric for tonight's show and you'll find peter myers articles linked okay so it's i think we have to give up on peter and i believe we have barbara on the line it looks like it anyway hello barbara are you there
1: i am can you hear me kevin
0: i sure can and i'm really glad i can because if all of my guests <laughs> couldn't talk it would be a long boring two-hour monologue tonight so hey welcome how are you
1: you're never boring, Kevin. Ever, ever.
0: <laughs> well, if you had to listen to me drone on for two hours with no guests, you might start to change your mind. So, <laughs> so hey, you were find, you were vindicated in your own lifetime when the New York Times admitted that your conspiracy theory, the October Surprise, is true. How does that feel? Uh,
1: I, I will tell you, Kevin. Um, it, it is really um, it's surprising. It's amazing. Uh, it only took 43 years.
0: <laughs> oh man! So, so yeah. how long will it take them to admit that you're right about the Pentagon and 9/11 and the anthrax and all that stuff?
1: Well, well, I, I, I will tell you. Truly, it's interesting you should say that, because the very first, um, the very first I became aware of the article. By the way, is the article linked on the show page for tonight?
0: Um, I believe it is. Yes, it is. The New York oh, Times okay. article.
1: Cause everybody just needs to read it. It, It's just, it's mind blowing revelation about the October surprise. But, um, I will, I have a confession to make. And that is that, um, when I first read it, which was the online version, which comes out usually a few hours, uh, before the hard copy paper, of course. Um, I read that on Saturday night and uh, a friend of mine said, have you seen this? And I, I about fell off my chair And my confession is, is that I was actually depressed that night. I was depressed because it took 43 years Um, for any (laughs) record, any mainstream media whatsoever to give any credence to the October surprise, to do anything but denigrate it and demonize me and other people um, who told the truth. I was not only a whistleblower, but I was also... The first researcher and published the first articles and the first books, um, you know, went on national radio sometimes five, six, seven times a day, um, until I think it was, um, in 1988, the Wall Street Journal published on the front page a poll that they had taken. You know, how many people in the country, what percentage of people in the country, pretty good size sample too. Um, believe that the October surprise was true or that it at least should be investigated seriously.
0: Well, well and, it, it, it's kind of obvious when the hostages get released just a few minutes after Reagan takes the oath of office. I mean, they weren't even very subtle, were they?
1: No, they weren't subtle. I, uh, they weren't subtle at all. But I should add that 85 percent, as I recall, front page of the Wall Street Journal, not exactly a right left wing paper. Right. Eighty five percent, according to their poll, um, said that they believe the October surprise was true uh, and or that it should be seriously investigated. And uh, that was before Gary Sick and Bob Perry and anybody else published their books. Mine was the first by almost three years. So so I was I was actually depressed the first night because of that.
0: Because well, 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 come on. I mean, if The New York Times ever admits that I was right about 9-11, I hope I won't feel depressed.
1: Well, it was it was only because it took so long. It took so long. Um, and anyway, I got over that really quick. The good news is I got over it quick. And when I got my hard copy paper the next morning, I was elated. I really was. I was surprised, but I was also elated. So um, maybe maybe we should talk a bit about the article.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's not a bad article. Although I noticed they didn't go way out of their way to apologize to you and uh, all the other people that they vilified for decades.
1: No, no. In fact, they didn't even mention me. Um, they, I believe, they only mentioned Gary Sick, who who stole my book title and most of my substance, and never even mentioned mine. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, we we talked about that. I think we did a whole show on it after Gary yeah. came on came on this show, and I I really appreciated that he did. It takes guts for any establishment person to do that, but uh, and then you you uh, discussed your you know <laughs> your problem with the way he uh, kind of appropriated a lot of your work in in yes, the subsequent show.
1: You had me on the next show, I believe, and I rebutted what he said. Um, but but anyway, uh, Gary Sick did the right thing finally, um, and uh, but but I should say that. Anybody who hasn't read the article, you really need to and go to Kevin's show page for today's show and read it. Um, it was in the new. It's, this is very interesting piece of history. Also, um, not only was this the first article that was positive about the October surprise, but in the New York edition, there are two different editions. Well, there may be three of the New York Times. They refer to themselves as the paper of record of the United States. They have the New York edition. Which presumably is the city and and that area of the country. It's the New York edition. It was the banner headline story above the fold. The same day, the same hard copy, which was last Sunday, um, about five days ago, uh, the the national edition. It was on the front page, but it was below the fold, and I don't know where it was in the international edition. I think. And, and I, I didn't
0: realize this, Barbara, because it, it wasn't so prominent on the in the online edition.
1: Um yes it was on my online edition. Well, I don't know what you mean by an online edition. I get my New York Times by email. And it was right at the top.
0: Oh, really? Okay, cuz yeah, if if you went to their website, it was not the top at the top. It was down a ways. It was one of those, you know, boxes down below away. Right. But yeah. and I thought it should have been like at the top, so I my well, my first impression was, oh man, they they should have given you know I didn't realize they were going to put it at the top in their uh, print edition, so that's great.
1: Yeah, in the New York in the New York edition, it was the banner headline above the fold, uh, and I've got that. I had a friend get it get it for me and mail wow. it here in color. Banner headline
0: saying Barbara was actually right. <laughs> yes,
1: right. <laughs> oh my god, oh my god. Well, I I think. When people read the article, what's fascinating to me is that, that the New York Times would choose this one to do a kind of mea culpa, right? Because, um, all this article really does, the content of the article is shows that, uh, Bill Casey, who was the 1980 Reagan Bush senior campaign chairman, uh, did collude, uh, with um, John Connolly and with uh Ben Barnes, who was the former Lieutenant Governor of Texas and the protege of John Connolly, um, that the three that those three men this all this article demonstrates is that those three men tried to get Khomeini to delay the release of the hostages to defeat Carter. He doesn't prove it, it just shows they tried. Okay? It's my book and Gary Sick's book and Robert Perry's book and the former president of Iran's book, Abel Hassan, Bani Sadr. And most recently, amazingly, I just got my copy of um, President Carter's authorized biography by uh, Pulitzer Prize winning presidential historian, American historian, um, Kai, that's K-A-I Bird, B-I-R-D. I think he's a professor. Anyway, Kai Bird, Pulitzer Prize winning historian, um, has a whole chapter. Very positive on the October surprise. Um, so, so history is coming around. History is coming around. And to me, you know, once I got over my, my very short depression over it taking 43 years, um, I'm very pleased.
0: Yeah, like better late than never, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the article basically admits that there was this big old this effort with you know John Connolly uh, and uh, uh, William Casey, and and then you know we it's amazing. That uh, we had, Trish, where's your audio? We actually got the confession from Trish. Barnes. Um, uh, oh, looks it looks like we connected Trish, uh, with Peter Myers, uh, who is the guest who's supposed to be here. Um, P- hang on, to Barbara. Peter, uh, Peter, please turn yeah, off your video. Off. You're using bandwidth. Okay. Uh,
1: he's, I, I don't think he heard you.
0: No, I know. He's, he somehow made some kind of a connection, <laughs> but he wasn't ready for it. Oh, boy. Anyway, uh, Peter has had a way of messing with my live shows recently.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, so, do, you want, do you want to go with Peter? Well, well, I well
0: let, let's give Peter like 15 minutes here. He has 15 more minutes of his half hour. Is that okay, Barbara? Can you, maybe you'd be interested in, in Peter's work on MH370. <laughs> That's
1: fine. And then uh, I'll get back on to the... Sounds good. So we'll keep
0: the audience like on the edge of their seats uh, okay. <laughs> to hear the rest about yeah. the October surprise. Um, so, he- uh, hello, Peter. Can you hear me, Peter? I must, I must have to choose my preferences. Okay, P- Peter is messing uh, around. Got, it hasn't got Please hang room. up on Peter, Mr. Rowe. Hang up on Peter. Don't bring him back until he gets it straight. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. I think oh, Peter must idea. be used to these uh, pre-records where you yeah. can get away yeah. with all of this kind yeah. of playing around. Um, uh, okay. So. How do I get oh, rid of him? Yeah. Let's see if I can get rid of Peter. Okay. Camera's
1: working. Audio.
0: Okay. Audio. Okay, I'm I'm oh. unable to get rid of Peter. Uh, I just all I can do up, is hang right. up myself. Yes. Uh, okay. Studio. So, so hello, uh, Mr. Rowe, uh, calling the studio headquarters. Get rid of Peter Myers, please. <laughs> Kick him off. <laughs>
1: I think that just happened.
0: Okay. Good. All right, so back to October surprise.
1: I can't hear. There should be. Oh, no, he's back.
0: Up. He's back. Okay. <laughs> I mean, who needs should the NSA so messing be. with my show when <laughs> we've got Peter Myers over in Australia, probably uh, in Alice Springs for all I know. Peter, <laughs> either get on the show or go away. <laughs> no, get, get do it or get off the pot. <laughs> Peter. Yeah. I he can't hear you. I know, he can't hear me. Mr. Rowe can't seem to hear me, or maybe he doesn't even have a way to is keep Peter speaker's off the show. But his speakers, <laughs> just comes oh, well, it says he has okay. speakers. Deep uh, let's see. If he, okay. Aha, I think I was able to mute him. There we go. I muted him. So, Barbara, <laughs> <laughs> back to October surprise. <laughs> you know, live radio is, uh, is really a, a thrill a minute, I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> God, yeah.
0: Okay, so <laughs> uh we were talking about how the New York Times article just establishes that uh this Barnes character who's finally confessed after all these years who worked with John Connolly as part of a program that apparently Connolly was reporting to William Casey, the, you know Reagan's campaign chair, who then Reagan appointed as head of the CIA. So this was a kind of a proto-CIA plot. And Casey is, of course, famous for running an off-the-books CIA, even when he was running the real CIA, too. So there's this off-the-books CIA plot that Barnes is involved in with Connolly to try to get the Iranians to not release the hostages until Carter loses and Reagan's president but the article doesn't actually you know provide provide any evidence that that actually happened so it's only kind of halfway there maybe you can fill in the details
1: well um the, one of the most interesting facts is that um the author interestingly <laughs> i don't think coincidentally peter baker i believe he's I believe his moniker is the um a senior White House correspondent for the New York Times. So he's right up there. Um, it's interesting that he only mentioned Gary Six book. The title of his book, like mine is The October Surprise, published almost three years later. And what's important about that is because Peter Baker's article uh, only mentions William Casey being uh, one of the conspirators in The October Surprise to delay the release of the hostages uh, with the Khomeini regime before the 1980 election. He doesn't mention George Bush, George Bush, senior, um, who was I have to turn off my phone. Uh, George Bush, senior was the vice presidential running mate, of course, with Ronald Reagan at the time. And George Bush, senior uh, was involved in an even more important meeting than William Casey was. So Gary Six book, interestingly, doesn't points the finger away from George Bush, really doesn't go into George Bush. His, his involvement, which was far more important than Casey's, it just, it just points the finger at Casey, who was then, of course, very conveniently a dead man, right? So, um, in a way, the New York Times, uh, the article does two things. It validates the attempt by the Reagan Bush campaign, uh, with the collusion of Connolly and Mr. Barnes. I think Mr. Barnes genuinely was a kind of quasi innocent, uh, player in this. Um, it really, it really, um, points the finger at William Casey and John Connolly. Now, what's interesting about John Connolly also is that John Connolly's, uh, John Connolly ran, um, He wanted to be the uh, Republican nominee in 1980, but Reagan won instead at the Republican convention. And before Reagan won, uh, John Connolly's press secretary for his campaign against Reagan was none other than James Brady, Jim Brady, who became Reagan's uh, uh, press secretary in the campaign, the transition in the White House until the Reagan assassination attempt, which Uh, also resulted in Brady being shot in the head.
0: And we've discussed that assassination attempt on this show. Um, And, of course, that's one of the many conspiracy theories that seem to have some truth to them, that there's a lot more to that assassination attempt than just some lone nut.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, There was a shooter on the roof. There wasn't just one shooter. Hinckley wasn't the only shooter. And, And I find it passingly strange that according to the, even the official story of the Reagan assassination attempt, and I'm going to, I'm going to connect this in a minute to the October surprise in a moment. Um, but the Reagan assassination attempt, it's passingly strange that Hinkley, who was very close to Reagan, Brady, and the Secret Service agent, um, that it's Brady who gets shot in the head. And Reagan only got injured because according to the official story, a bullet hit the car door and bounced off and went into his chest. So you have to ask yourself, was Brady the real target? Now, and
0: would that have been related to October Surprise?
1: Well, uh, it could be. And um, I didn't realize this until um, until – um, I I read that John Connolly in this very article in the New York Times last Sunday. Um, that I read that John Connolly was one of the conspirators who was at a very minimum doing his very best to defeat Carter by arranging an October surprise hostage delay for arms deal. And
0: now, no, Barbara, just a, a quick interruption. Uh, you're, you're I think you're wrestling something on your microphone. So if you could oh. try to like if it's a cell phone or whatever you're holding, you hold it real still.
1: Oh well, I didn't think I. Um, it's my it's my laptop. Is, is that oh. better? is that better?
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, um, so so the potential link to Jim Brady is that Brady had to have been knowledgeable, even though I just put put two and two together last Sunday when I read this New York Times article. Brady had to have been knowledgeable about what John Connolly was doing because he was his press secretary. He was his mm-hmm. press secretary. And then he became Reagan's press secretary in the campaign, went directly from being John Connolly's to Reagan's. And so he was the closest person in the Reagan campaign to John Connelly.
0: That's so, interesting, because it, before we we had kind of speculated that it's possible that that assassination attempt was about trying to put Bush in the White House.
1: Well, it was. <laughs> That's correct. But it was only it was only this Sunday when I read this New York. New York New York Times article that I realized, oh, my God, maybe Brady was at least one of the targets. It certainly kept him from talking. Hmm. And by the way, the same thing happened to to Bill Casey, to William Casey, um, because, uh, as you know, from our previous from my book and all these other books and in our previous shows on the October surprise, Kevin, you know that the october that Supri- the, the iran contra scandal was simply the tip of the iceberg um uh of the october surprise that the original arms for hostages deal was the october surprise and just uh, a few of those arms shipments became public there were at least 5 billion dollars worth of arms as part of that deal and only about 150 million dollars worth of them were involved in the um in the in the Iran side of the Iran Contra scandal, and so um, the, the the October Surprise is is um, really about um, Bush because Bush was involved centrally, not just William Casey. The October Surprise was by Bush trying to get himself and Reagan in the White House, and then the shortly after they got in the White House, I mean they got in the White House on. January 20th, 1981, and just a couple of months later, um a little bit over 2 months later, uh on um actually almost exactly 2 months later on March 18th, right? No, March 30th, excuse me. On March 30th of 1981, uh Reagan is shot and Jim Brady is shot. Now, um what that did was had it succeeded, of course, the main beneficiary was none other than George Bush Sr., who was the main conspirator in the October surprise, not just William Casey.
0: So, he, in a way, he might have been following Lyndon Johnson's path to the presidency. Yeah. Is, get on the ticket of somebody that you don't particularly see eye to eye with, and then hope or do more than hope that they die and you assume office.
1: Wow. Yes, yes that's right. Now, it's also interesting. Um, knowing, of course, that the um that the Iran the Iran side of Iran-Contra was just the tip of the iceberg of the real deep story of Iran-Contra, which is the October Surprise, um, what's important about that is that in my book, October Surprise, at the very end, the last chapter, it's called The Kinder, Gentler Nation, which was tongue in cheek on my part, because if you recall, George Bush Sr. when he was president, said that under his presidency the United States would be a kinder, gentler nation. Right. Well, um, that chapter uh, lists, I believe it's about 30 people who were either co-conspirators or knew too much about the October surprise who were who were off, who were assassinated or died mysteriously. And one of them is none other than William Casey, uh, because we know this was in the mainstream press that. In the Iran-Contra hearings, if the truth about if the truth had come out in the Iran-Contra hearings, the October surprise would have come out in the Iran-Contra hearings. And the day before he was to give under oath sworn testimony to the Iran-Contra hearings, William Casey told his good friend, I believe his name was Goldstein. It's in my book. um, But he told one of his very closest friends that he had decided that he was an old man and he had decided to spill the beans and tell the truth. And that night, or the next morning, before he could testify, he had a very coincidental stroke in only the speech center of his brain.
0: Wow! The the coincidence theorists must have been having a field day.
1: Yes, and then he was put in the hospital where he was off. Okay, so so that's that's the the October surprise was important enough, in my opinion. For not only John Connolly, but the former lieutenant governor of Texas, the future, the past CIA director, after whom CIA headquarters is named, the Reagan and Bush senior CIA director. uh, And all of these people to be conspirators and for there to be an attempt on the life of Ronald Reagan and James Brady. Wow. So the October surprise must be very, very important.
0: That, that, so that's a big conspiracy here. It's not like the New York Times is revealing a, a relatively minor, inconsequential conspiracy. This is a, a huge one that involves presidents and you know for, former presidents, uh, the CIA, uh, various CIA uh, people right up to directors and so on. It's uh yes. it's big time.
1: Yes, it's very big time. And uh, so that makes it all the more surprising that they've done this. Um I do also believe Mr. Barnes, and I'm grateful for what he's done, because um uh Ben Barnes, who is the former Lieutenant Governor of Texas, John Connolly's protege, um He says in he says in the article he's quoted in the article and I believe him that it's because former President Carter is in hospice he's announced Carter announced that he's gone into hospice care in his home which means he has he believes he has not long to live Um, that apparently Mr. Barnes had a you know a moment of conscience and that does happen Um, it's essentially a kind of quasi-deathbed confession. Mr. Barnes, I don't believe, is on his deathbed, but he is, I believe, 81. And Carter is on his last few months of life. And the same thing happened with two of the most important um, uh, confessions in the October Surprise. One of them um, was a deathbed confession, literally, uh, to his biographer, and that was Alexander de Marange, who was the head of French intelligence, the equivalent of director of the CIA in this country. And he told the truth that William Casey, yes, was in Paris uh, for the October surprise meeting just before he died. And that's been published. And then the other the other major one more recently was uh, Dwayne Dewey Claridge, who was a top covert operative, uh, black ops operative for the CIA, and uh, very close to George H W Bush Bush senior uh he came out uh in a deathbed con- confession it was carried in newsweek magazine a few years ago with the uh the newsweek headline the october surprise was real exclamation point
0: so in a, in a sense the new york times isn't just isn't breaking this news it's already been out there but for some reason The deniers and the the bogus debunkers uh, just kept right on lumping October Surprise as one of those conspiracy theories that are obviously not true and the product of fevered imaginations and so on. And that makes me wonder, even now that the New York Times has published this and we've gotten Barnes on the record, will somehow that get memory hold? And will the usual suspects just keep on mindlessly pseudo debunking this? (laughs)
1: Well, as they say, um, history has the final word. And we already have the authorized biography of Carter telling the truth in in a full chapter in the book. Um, and we've got we've got, uh, you know, Abul Hassan Bani Sadr in his book, which is called My Turn to Speak. He was the president of Iran throughout this hostage crisis. He's told the truth. Um there's my book, there's Gary Sick's book. Gary Sick isn't just any author. Um Gary Sick's book October Surprise published about 3 years after mine. I think mine was on uh, in May of 1989 and he published in 1992. Um his book October Surprise, Gary Sick was Naval Intelligence and he was the Iran expert in the National Security Council in the White House.
0: Yeah, he's one of the oh. most high-ranking people ever to appear on this show. I'm sorry. He's one of the most high-ranking people to have appeared on Truth Jihad Radio.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. and, and that's that's you know good on him for doing it. Um, but he isn't just anybody. He was the head he was the head naval intelligence officer in charge of Iran inside the Carter National Security Council throughout the hostage crisis. Okay, and then there's Abdul Hassan Bani Sadr, who was the president of Iran uh, at the time and during the hostage crisis. He told the truth. Uh, we've had. Alexander de Marange, the head of French intelligence, has told the truth. We've had Dwayne Dewey Claridge, high up covert officer under George H.W. Bush, telling the truth in a deathbed confession carried in Newsweek magazine. So uh, I think one of the reasons that the New York Times decided to do this now is probably because uh, Ben Barnes said, if you don't publish it, I'm going to The Washington Post.
0: That's probably right. Now, do you think that there's also a sort of partisan political aspect to this? Yes. That is, that the Republicans, are, and especially the Trumpsters, are currently on the, um, <laughs> the unfriendly list of the big media. And by exposing a Republican conspiracy to steal an election from the Democrats, that kind of takes the wind out of the sails of all the Republicans who are accusing the Democrats of stealing the 2020 election.
1: Yes, well, they can certainly use it uh, as a club. Um, it will be interesting to see if the Democrats actually do so, because after all, Mr. Barnes, he was a Democrat. OK. Um, in right. fact, right. in the article, when Barnes was asked by Peter Baker, the New York Times reporter and author of the piece, um, he was said, well, why did you wait so long to come forward? And he said, well, I didn't want to be thought of as a Benedict Arnold by the Democratic Party. Well, I think he will be.
0: <laughs> but at least he'll be a Benedict Arnold who repented his treason. <laughs> that's
1: right. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great crazy,
0: yeah. crazy world. So, so Barbara, what, what about the evidence against uh, George Bush? Because that's the kind of that's the ultra controversial part here. The mainstream really doesn't want to admit that. Presidents did really hideously awful things, right? You know, they don't want to admit that LBJ could have been involved in killing JFK and so on and so forth. Yeah. So uh, so what's what's the evidence that George Bush was a player in the October Surprise?
1: Well, um, you have to read my – forgive me for saying it again, but you need to get my book on Amazon called October well, Surprise. I,
0: I have it, but the listeners probably <laughs> would, would love a little, you know, titillating – well, no, I understand.
1: Summary. I was referring to your listeners. I know you have my book. Okay. Um, yeah, I would hope that your listeners would go to Amazon and purchase my book, October Surprise, uh, published in 1989 by Tudor Press. I think the last time I looked, you could get it for a dollar and eighty-seven. But right after this article came out, by the way, I think it went up to about forty-three dollars. <laughs> um wow. anyway. Okay, uh, George Bush. So George Bush was absent. Um, from, uh, he, he, his, his whereabouts are unknown and unaccounted for, for precisely the time of the critical Paris-France October surprise meeting with Khomeini representatives. Okay, that's number one. Uh, number two, George Bush, uh, as when he was vice president, when the October surprise came out, my book came out, um, or actually, my first work came out because my book didn't come out until right after he was elected for his only term. Um, but uh, he came up with three alibis for where he was uh, during the period of time that the sources in my book and Gary Sick's book and others um, say that he was uh, in Paris uh, at the October Surprise meeting, cutting the final deal. Uh, and so he came up with three alibis, and all three alibis were proven to be false by the FBI and government and government investigations.
0: Well coming up with three totally different alibis already sounds like a kind of (laughs) admission of guilt.
1: Yes, it definitely does. And when he finally showed up again, guess where he was? He was at the alibi club.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can't make this stuff up.
1: (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. Um he the 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 last place that he was known to be, and this is all in my book the last place he is known was known to be was at a campaign event in Chester, Pennsylvania, um, the evening, as I recall, the evening of October 18th, and then he disappears, and he doesn't return again until the Zionist organization um, uh, Zionist organization meeting uh, the next day, and so it's the dirty-
0: Zionists keep keep popping up in these kind of situations sometimes. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, uh, the three alibis that were proven false. In fact, my, my political godmother, Sarah McClendon, bless her soul, she's no longer with us. Um, but she was the senior White House correspondent through nine or ten presidents. And, um, she confronted George Bush. Uh, he was, he was at the podium in the White House press room right after his third alibi had fallen apart and it had just broken in the press. And uh, she confronted him. Um, And, you know, he didn't really he didn't really answer. But uh, after the press conference was over and it was carried live on television, uh, after the press conference was over, she kind of corralled him in the hall. And she said, you didn't answer my question. And he said, he said, Sarah, if the American people knew what we had done, they would they would string us. And he met himself. They would string us from the nearest lamp pole.
0: Yeah, and that that quote has has gotten around, and not everybody knows that. I, I think you're the main source of that quote.
1: Well, I'm I don't know. Sarah McClendon herself is the main source of that quote. The sort the quote that I'm famous for is William Casey telling Ronald Reagan in a meeting in the Roosevelt Room in the West Wing of the White House. In late February or into March of 1981, just not long before he was shot, um, there was a meeting um, that I attended because I was, you know, worked for the chief domestic policy advisor who had convened the meeting. And it was a meeting shortly after Reagan became president uh, with his cabinet secretaries, including William Casey, who technically wasn't a cabinet secretary, but he was at the meeting. And the purpose was for all of these secretaries um Basically, the people who were running Reagan's executive branch to report to him what they had found about their agencies. And when it got to William Casey, I was, I was taking the official record. When it got to, um, to William Casey, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the source of the quote that I initially gave to Sarah McClendon, who in turn published it. And so she got credit for it for a very long time that I was the source. Uh, and that quote was, well, Mr. President, um, our disinformation program will have succeeded when everything the American public believes is false.
0: That's another uh, classic conspiracy quote well, <laughs> that you that, had a hand in. Yep.
1: That, exactly. I was there. Um, kind of like uh, Forrestina Gump. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. And, you know, they're trying to memory hold so much of this stuff. And it's it's interesting when the dynamic actually shifts and you do have the mainstream admitting the truth about something like this. And and again, I do have to bring this back to the current political crisis in the U.S. It seems that the fact that maybe 35 or 40 percent of the people think that the 2020 election was stolen and that Biden is illegitimate has provoked a crisis. And again, the the You know, you actually can't even post YouTube videos suggesting that any U.S. election was ever stolen or was anything less than upright. And indeed, I got a YouTube strike, which is part of the reason that my YouTube channel got nuked and terminated and all my videos were erased, was that I violated that rule by having somebody on false flag with the news opining that they thought that the 2020 election was stolen. So... Uh, We're not allowed to mention any of the election chicanery that has afflicted the presidential or any other elections, I guess, in this country, uh, or you'll be deplatformed. But now the New York Times is admitting that the 1980 election was stolen in what amounted to a treasonous coup d'etat.
1: Well, well, that article simply proves, in my mind, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming, compelling, um, that they tried. But my book and everything that came before this recent article proves that it happened. The New York Times didn't prove it happened, but it did prove that very influential and important people tried to make it happen.
0: So when will they admit it really did happen?
1: Well, maybe another 43 years, Kevin.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That's too much. (laughs) If if they're already admitting that, that Casey... Uh, and Connolly tried to make it happen then i wouldn't think that they would have to wait that long to admit it did happen i, I would think maybe only like 22 years you know half well, that I, time i would hope
1: so I, you can imagine that i have been uh, sending all kinds of proof to peter baker in the hope that he will follow this up and by the way i find it fascinating um on the um on the uh, show page for today's show there are some lights and uh, one of those links is to my press conference that I put on at the National Press Club, proving that the House and Senate October surprise report claims that there was nothing to the October surprise are treasonously false themselves. I proved it and I passed out the documentation and it's all been on YouTube for years. And guess what? It was taken down right after the baker piece came out so i had my videographer put it back up on bitshoot and that that press conference you can watch it at the link on the show page for your show today
0: that's right people can find that by going to truthjihad.com clicking on the radio schedule link and finding your way to the radio page finding your way to the headline for this show which is currently headlined with Peter Meyer. But I'm going to erase Peter because he couldn't make it. And so uh, Barbara Honecker will be the headliner. And, of course, this show will be archived as well at my Substack, which is kevinbarrett.substack.com. Um, well, so, Barbara, that's that's great that you've got those videos saved. You know, one more uh, blow struck against the memory holing that's been going on lately. Uh, yeah,
1: and- that's the reason if somebody goes there, Uh, It'll probably say there have been three views. Well, that's because after thousands of views, it was just taken down.
0: So so they're actually um, stopping the views from racking up at the the bit shoot?
1: No, no. I mean, at the YouTube that had been. Oh,
0: right. Of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. At the YouTube that had been up for years. Um, And then there's also a link there to my, I was actually, um, uh in the lead up to the um to the nineteen eighty eight election where Bush was running against Dukakis, there was a, a, a huge press conference, a, a different one, an earlier one, at the National Press Club. And the link the the link, unfortunately, I don't have that link. I'm trying to get it. If I do, I'll send it to you. Um but that was in late August of nineteen eighty eight and it was um put on by um by the Association of National Security Alumni, sponsored. And there were only two speakers at that press conference. One of them was myself, telling the national and international press. There were literally hundreds. There were, there were dozens of television cameras rolling. And there were literally 60 or 70 mainstream press people there. And they had to keep taking the, um, uh, the removable panels. But divide up the press uh, conference rooms at the National Press Club. They had to keep removing them on the left and the right because so many people, uh, press, were coming in. And so there were two speakers, and uh, I was one of them on the October surprise evidence, and the other was Terry Reed, who was probably at that time the most important whistleblower about Mena, Arkansas, uh, and the um, the illegal arms. Uh, arms and drugs operations in, in Iran-Contra. So it was just the two of us. And I learned a very important lesson, Kevin, very important lesson about the control of the media in our country from that. Because in order to get into that press room, the, um, the sponsor, the Association of National Security Alumni, they had one of their people outside at a little table at the door, and the press had to sign in. And they had to, uh, you know, I don't know if they had to show their ID, but but we had we have the list. I still have the list of all the press people who were there, their name and who they represented and a contact information. And there were dozens and dozens and dozens, including from the international press and television. So I wait, I uh, waited for a day or two and I checked the Washington Post and I checked the New York Times and. It was as if the tree had fallen in the forest and no one was there. There wasn't a word, not a word. With <laughs>
0: one How do they organize that kind of conspiracy of silence?
1: Well, you'll have to tell me. You'll have to get high up in the mainstream media and then tell me. Um, but I will tell you this, that there was one exception, and that's the great lesson that I learned. The one exception was I was immediately contacted by Der Spiegel in Germany, by by Martin Killian, who was Der Spiegel's uh, top uh, reporter representative in Washington, D.C. And Martin Killian not only wrote it up and not only had me into his studio and put me on TV immediately in Germany, um, but became a dedicated October Surprise researcher and publicist like Robert Perry. Now, I asked him one day over lunch or dinner, I can't remember, or a drink. I said, Martin, why were you the only one? And why was there Spiegel the only one? The only honest press and television in the world. And he said, well, that's easy. That's because we own our paper. The paper, we don't have management. The paper is owned by the reporters.
0: Well, that's interesting. But then why did Der Spiegel publish such horrible nonsense about 9-11? You you know, they they published a whole book on 9-11, which includes some really interesting stuff that they completely ignore the implications of, such as the fact that the evidence against Mohammed Atta uh, in the form of a a suitcase, or briefcase full of stuff, painting muhammad atta as a radical muslim conspirator when in fact he was a soft-spoken unassuming totally non-radical kind of guy who, that, lived, with a, who
1: lived with a pink-haired
0: stripper well yeah that, that was the israeli impersonator the guy that somebody who spoke fluent hebrew who called himself muhammad atta lived with a pink-haired israeli stripper oh, okay. disemboweled kittens and things like that but that wasn't the same yeah. guy the uh, the muhammad atta in germany uh, was framed by way of this briefcase and Der Spiegel's book on 9-11, which is very mainstream and orthodox, tells us that the, this briefcase incriminating Mohammed Atta was delivered uh, anonymously to the German police by, quote, a good Samaritan burglar. That is, someone who said that there was a burglar who had burgled an apartment, found this incriminating evidence, and being a good Samaritan burglar, decided to give it to the police. Now, this Der Spiegel book goes on to say that the West German police know full well that this wasn't a good Samaritan burglar, that it was some intelligence agent. And the question is, which intelligence agency? And then they just drop it and ignore the implications.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Well, uh, all I can say is probably Martin Killian was no longer with Der Spiegel at the time. I do <laughs>
0: They probably got infiltrated, you know, maybe maybe if Der Spiegel was acting like a loose cannon then uh, somebody in the U.S. national security state took it upon themselves to try and uh, fix that situation.
1: Well, after they were honest about the October surprise, maybe so.
0: Yeah, well, the European press overall may have been a little better. I remember I was living in Paris, France in 1988 uh, in the run up to that election and then afterwards as well. And as I recall, there was a big to do in Le Canard Enchaîné, which is this sort of satirical muckraking behind the scenes kind of paper about the uh, uh, huge to do around Bush having flown to Paris and that people in, in Paris, the journalists were trying to confirm this. If they confirmed it, they could blow up Bush's uh, presidential bid in 1988 but apparently it never got fully confirmed enough, at least for the American media. But this was big news in the Canardon today. And I think it did also make the front pages of the Figaro and Le Monde. So, as, you know, living there, I noticed, well, the French media is covering this. I wonder if the American media is. But as it turned out, it wasn't.
1: Um, not sufficiently in time. No, uh, it was it, it broke somewhat uh, when when the FBI went public. Uh, that Bush's third alibi for, for where he was during the time that witnesses put him at the, uh, Paris meeting, the critical October surprise meeting, that when his third alibi fell apart and the FBI made that public. Um, but that he was already president then. And then the other, the other big clincher to me. Um, but this was, you know, one of those uh, negatives that prove a positive in my mind, or at least it's evidence for it. And that is that. When the House October Surprise Task Force began, um, <laughs> uh, I can't remember. I, I think it was Tip O'Neill. Wasn't Tip O'Neill? Any, anyway, whoever was Speaker of the House, whoever was Speaker of the House because it was a House-side uh, investigation that was funded, by the way, uh, at a higher level than the entire 9-11 Commission, the October Surprise House Force, Task Force investigation. Um, but the um the Speaker of the House at the time, who was a Democrat uh announced at a press event that I attended uh in the House of Representatives building in the capitol um he announced that um that the House October Surprise task Force would go forward but that but that President Bush would not be investigated.
0: oh man <laughs> that is kind of a negative that suggests a positive isn't it?
1: No, it really is. But anyway, well, you know, it is good we, news. It is good news, yeah. and it's a first step by the paper of record of the United States. And I am in communication with Peter Baker.
0: Excellent. Well, I hope there's some follow up. And and I do have to remark that it's interesting how Bush Sr. got away with all this stuff when he, he couldn't ever keep his alibi straight, right? He, he was one of the two guys, along with, or three actually, Nixon and E. Howard Hunt, who couldn't remember where they were on uh, November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, and then it turned out that they were in Dallas, and yep. yeah, so Bush he said he didn't remember where he was, but then it turned out that he'd been in Dallas, and there was CIA you know, some kind or FB, an FBI document about how Bush had phoned in a fake lead to the FBI, trying to implicate some young Republican club member in the JFK assassination, and he'd been there in the morning, and then he flew out and he flew to Midland and made this phone call like at noon, just like short, not long at all after the assassination. And then he claimed later he couldn't even remember what city he'd been in on November 22nd, 1963. I mean, talk about a guy who can't keep his alibi straight. How can a master criminal who pulls off these kinds of crimes be such an idiot? And how can we all be idiots not to notice?
1: Well, yes. And uh, I think that I think that a big part of how the answer to the question at least in the United States mainstream press and media television media how is it that it's so controlled and I believe that the answer is despite the church commission when the church commission happened um, the one of the you know big changes in the law after that um, after those revelations as to the dirty deeds of the CIA was to uh, outlaw Reporters, um, journalists, and reporters and writers from working or being contract agents for the CIA. But but the law didn't include editors. And what is an editor if not a censor? That's what an editor is.
0: Yeah. The editors and the publishers, of course, who own the papers, yes. call the shots.
1: Correct. Exactly. And the CIA, in my opinion, the mighty Wurlitzer is still whirling.
0: It sure does look that way, doesn't it? I mean, if I look at the papers today, the way they cover the Ukraine fiasco, um, I I don't know if I've ever seen such ridiculous, extreme propaganda. I mean, you're reminiscing about these days of these horrible conspiracies in 1980 and so on. I mean, back then, at least there were some journalists who sort of went through the motions of doing their jobs and sort of telling both sides of the story. Today, it's like all one-sided propaganda all the time, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's even worse, really. I, I think it is worse. So where do you where do you get decent news? Well,
0: Truth Jihad Radio.
1: Truth Radio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. I, oh I man! <laughs> yeah. If if a high paid professional journalist did their jobs, I would have no reason to exist. So. Yeah,
1: by the, by the way, Kevin. Before we close, and I know you've got another guest here yeah. in a minute. Um, I would like to let people know that. Um,
0: okay, uh, you have about ten seconds.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll do it in ten seconds. So a, a very large asteroid is coming between the Earth and the moon tonight. So we got this show in just in time.
0: Okay. Um, don't look up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara Honiger. So it's always great talking with you. God bless. Take care. Look, look forward to talking again. All right. Bye-bye. It's Barbara Honiger, <laughs> Kevin Barrett, back in the next hour talking about fearlessness with our Michael Fisher. Stick so around for that.
1: Where are you?